Matthew chapter 5, we're continuing uh, our look at the Sermon on the Mount, and of course the beginning of this sermon is introduced by Jesus speaking what we call the Beatitudes. Jesus opens up uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 is what covers this entire sermon, uh, but he begins this sermon with these beautiful words of blessing. What does it look like to be a part of the kingdom of God? What does the kingdom of God look like? Not just now in our lives, but also in the future when all of the kingdom will come into being in its fullness. If you will, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's word. And let's read all of the Beatitudes together. But we're going to be focusing on verse 4 today. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. And we stand in awe as we hear the words of your son, Jesus, the truth that he speaks so powerfully and so beautifully about how your kingdom operates, but what it looks like, how it affects us, how we are humble before you. And so God, this morning I pray as we focus on verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Many of us have faced grief. Many of us have faced sorrow. And every time, Father, you are faithful to comfort us. And that is just a small glimpse of what your kingdom looks like. And so, God, I pray this morning you'd speak to us boldly, but also speak to us beautifully. May we hear you, may we be attentive, and may we respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. We are living in difficult times for sure. And we are in a time in our country, but also, as I've shared in weeks past, the troubles in our nation are not isolated here. It seems to be a global time of sorrow and upheaval and turmoil. We are in a season of unexpected turmoil and grief. We are in a season in this world right now of of devastation of economies, devastation of of loss of life from this pandemic that has taken so many. But we're also in turmoil now of social upheaval, racial tensions in our country that are actually spreading around the world. Like I shared last week, as I came into the pulpit last week, I had just saw on the news where protesters were gathering in front of the U.S. Embassy in London. And then we saw some news this week of what happened there. So it's not just 
here in the U.S. that we see turmoil. We see it all around the world. And we can be looking at the circumstances of our world right now with grief, can't we? But oftentimes when we look, and as I'm talking to many people about this, and I don't bring it up, others want to say, Pastor, what do you think of this, 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 and this? I'll be honest with you, I'm not hearing much sorrow and grief. I'm hearing anger. I'm hearing frustration. I don't hear much sorrow and grief of what our world is dealing with right now. Those of us who have ever experienced loss, who have ever experienced uh, tragedies in our lives, we understand what it means to mourn. If you have ever lost a, a spouse, if you've ever lost a family member, if you've ever lost a friend, someone who was close to you, you understand grief in ways that others may not. And I think Jesus here in verse 4 is speaking exactly to this. He's using this. It's imagery, but it's also literal. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning. It's interesting here that the idea of being blessed here, as we said, can also be understood as happiness. That's a, it's, a, it's a contrast here because you don't think of mourning as a season of happiness and joy. Mourning and grief are always seasons of, of despair. I don't know about you, but if you've ever mourned anything, a loss of a job, a loss of a family member, a loss of a person, that is not a very happy time generally. But now the Christian funeral, though, a genuine Christian funeral even though it is a time of sorrow and loss, can also at the same time be a time of celebration and joy. I have conducted more funerals in my ministry than I have conducted weddings. I mean, the, the proportion is it's, it's very lopsided. That's, that's been my ministry over the years. And you have a mix of, of experiences at the loss of loved ones. Sometimes it is a time of, of weeping and wailing and, and grief and sorrow. Other times it is a time of celebration, not because, oh, yeah, they're dead, but they're going to heaven. The Christian hope in the time of mourning is something that people who are not in the church, who are not in the gospel, who are not saved by the blood, may not ever understand. So blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, many of us, let's just try to make sure we understand exactly what Jesus implies here about mourning. Some of us have lost our, when we were children, we lost our favorite toy. Anybody ever done that? Yeah, that's a time of mourning, right? That's okay, right? Tallulah, you mourned over the loss of a toy, right? How many people have ever lost a job? Yeah. If you've ever lost employment, if you've ever uh, lost property, if you've ever lost something that you held dear, you have a sense of loss there. But what Jesus is speaking about here in mourning is not that type of loss. The idea of mourning here is clearly connected to a grief over the death of a loved one, a deep inner agony that you experience in that type of emotional separation. Not to belittle the other things. If you've lost a job or you've lost a toy or if you lost materialism, you've lost a house, whatever. Those are times of sorrow and grief. But if we can all agree, there are different levels of sorrow and grief based on the type of loss there is. And Jesus here speaking about blessed are those who mourn is speaking specifically about grief, the, the type of inner deep agony that someone may experience during the death of a loved one. To the point that this deep inner agony is so 
tormenting that, and, and so overwhelming that it really produces no tears. This is the type of mourning that Jesus is speaking about. So there, again, as Jesus is speaking through these Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, or happy are those who grieve, it seems like it contradicts. So Jesus here, though, he's describing what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Now, if we remember verse 3 and verse 4, Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, which connects clearly to verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The idea of poor in spirit, let's just remember last week, was this idea of literally a, a poverty of begging, being at a point of begging for because of the circumstance that you're in. That's what poor in spirit means. And you can clearly see that that is very similar to the attitude of mourning. If you are grieving to the point of inner agony, is your spirit in a state of poverty as well? I think so. Broken, humble, mourning, grieving, sorrowful. Now, there's different aspects. It's interesting here that verses 3 through 4, and actually all of the Beatitudes, all nine of them, these, these attributes of the kingdom, are nearly different aspects of one overarching attitude that Jesus is trying to get us to see. What is the... Kingdom of heaven like? Well, it's a lot of these things. All of these different aspects, all of these different attributes that Jesus is speaking about is pointing to one thing, and that's the idea of happiness and blessedness and a beautiful existence in contrast to, but right alongside, an attitude of a poor spirit, an attitude of mourning and grief. Because the Beatitudes here are two parts. You have a circumstance, blessed are those who mourn, and an outcome, for they shall be comforted. In order to receive the comfort, in order to receive God's blessing and love and, and compassion, we may have to go through a season of mourning. Now, let's make sure we don't misunderstand what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is not teaching a checkoff list of you have to do X, Y, and Z, otherwise God won't love you. Let's not let's make sure we don't miss that. God, Jesus is not saying that there is a works righteousness that you must do in order to receive. Can we say amen to that? Because in order to receive the blessings of God, in order to receive the forgiveness of our sins, the only way forgiveness occurs is by God's sovereign power, God's sovereign grace, and God's mercy upon us in our circumstances. Because if we could do certain things, if we could cause ourselves to be poor in spirit, if we could break our own spirit, why do we need God? If we could cause an attitude of mourning and grief in ourselves, why do we need God? You see where this is heading? Jesus is making this very clear, and it's going to become even more clear as we go through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is not saying, do this and then this. He is describing a state of being that results in a greater state of being and blessedness that only God himself can usher in through his kingdom, period. We could argue, these are other sermons, but to be poor in spirit means that God's Holy Spirit literally breaks us, shows us our depravity and our poverty of spirit, waking us up to the need of salvation, waking us up to the need of blessing of God that cannot occur until his forgiveness is granted. Same thing here with mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. How can somebody initiate one's own 
persecution of soul. We can't really. I mean, we could. Do you all know those folks who really cause themselves to be all stirred up in an emotional grief and sorrow? And you all know those folks? If they're not miserable, they want to find something to make themselves miserable. Will those people ever be happy? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> and so that's why we have to remember here that the Beatitudes are not a checkoff list of you better do this in order to receive the kingdom. Because if you are humble and begging and broken in spirit, and if you are someone who is always looking for more times to mourn and to grieve, that's all you're going to be looking for, and you will never see the kingdom of heaven. And so God here is speaking through His Son, Jesus Christ, and saying, teach them how I can love them and comfort them in the midst of their sorrow. But it is important for the sinner to understand their poverty of spirit while at the same time understanding their sinful spiritual condition and and literally grieving over their sin. How many of us do that? How many of us are so complacent with our sin and separation from the Lord that it no longer grieves us that we are separated from Him? How many of us are so comfortable in our own skin that we are no longer grieving over the fact that we have disappointed God? God Himself loves us so much that He may actually allow moments of grief and sorrow over ourselves, over our inner agony of soul, to cause us to wake up and realize how much we desperately need His love. I don't know. I I don't like grief. Grief is not something that I'm going to be going out looking for. Grief is not a fun time. Because if you've ever been through grief, you understand how it can overwhelm you at moments that you don't expect it. And God will cause His Holy Spirit to come over the sinner and cause moments of mournful grief over one's attitude and one's spiritual condition, a deep inner agony that the person may not be able to articulate why, and they just feel within their soul something is not right, and they are worried about it, and they are fearful of it, but they don't know what to do about it. And that is the attitude of mourning here. So blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. See, the attribute here of spiritual poverty or spiritual mourning, it's not something that we we usher in ourselves. It can only be initiated by God. Now, the other thing to think about here is also that the Beatitudes have a two-part meaning. Number one, it's it's looking forward to... uh, Actually, it's looking at the moment that we live in now. So blessed are those who mourn now, for they shall be comforted future. You see, there's a two-part aspect here in the Beatitudes. It is a both now and tomorrow understanding. It's it's an imagery of now, but also yet to come. It's, again, this is the word that I tried to avoid last week, but those who know it, eschatological, meaning end times prophecy, those things that will come to the the end of a final judgment, of the final culmination of God's kingdom on earth. That may be the only time that we ever fully realize the comfort that God can truly give. Even though He does comfort us here and now in our sinful state, He does love His people enough to to comfort them and we can get a glimpse, just a hint of God's mercy and grace now. But oh, what's it going to look like when the final kingdom is established? Can you just imagine that? 
It's kind of a both and going on here. It's what Jesus is kind of ushering in. Let me tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like. I'm going to give you a small taste here on this planet in your life right now, just a hint of God's glory. I am God's perfect reflected image here for you to see, Jesus is saying. And I am telling you the truth of what the kingdom is like. And boy, what's it going to be like when it's finally fulfilled? You see, both, it's a both and. It's, it's a world that is still here. Can we just admit that our world right now is worthy of sorrow? Is it not worthy of grieving over right now? Our economy is collapsing. People, families are breaking apart. Our society is torn at the seams and we're at each other's throats. Oh, dear God, forgive us. God may be allowing what's happening to wake us up so that we genuinely grieve over the loss of God's favor and presence within our sin, because we're so sinful. Our sin isolates God from us, and our sin isolates ourselves from each other. So there's this truthfulness here that Jesus is speaking, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What I love about the Beatitudes is Jesus does point out two parts. You've got the sorrow and the grief, the, 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 the response of sin here. But then the second part is God's response. And so blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What does this comfort look like? <laughs> right? Um, let's take a look here. Second Corinthians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1, Paul addresses how God is this God of comfort. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we shall abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. You see, here's what the kingdom of heaven looks like. If we suffer, we do not suffer alone if we are part of God's church, if we're part of his people, of his body of Christ. Blessed are those who mourn because you're not going to be mourning alone. Just as our Savior Jesus Christ suffered, not just physically, but spiritually, emotionally, eternally, He suffered and he shared every sorrow that we experienced. Do you realize that there is absolutely nothing that we endure that Christ himself has not also endured? That's what Paul's speaking about here. Just as Jesus Christ has endured suffering, he understands your suffering as Christ lamented over his people who rejected. He also understands that we in our sin, we... He's, he's, he, he mourns over us. Again, if we have ever experienced grief, what a ministry we have to those who suffer grief as well. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been through moments of sorrow and grief, the greatest 
help that you could receive is someone else who understands, who can empathize with you because they've dealt with it themselves, sit with you, and they may not ever have to say a word. They just hold your hand and cry with you because you both know it so well. That is a sign of the kingdom of comfort and, and, and encouragement as part of the kingdom of heaven. And so blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now we have to be honest with ourselves and remember that we may think that when we join the church, when we are saved by Jesus Christ, when we become Christians, we may think that we will always avoid any more sorrow and grief. Now, there's a lot of teaching like that out in the church. And guess what? You can build a mega church even here in Cookville, Tennessee, with that kind of message, can't you? Oh, God doesn't want you to mourn. He doesn't want you to have any te- uh, any sorrow or grief. He has promised that the Christian will never suffer. I don't know. I, I, what does Jesus say here? In order to receive comfort, I think you need to be in a state of mourning in order to be comforted, don't you? Why would you want to comfort somebody who is happy and joyful and going well. Think about that. I don't know if... I, I'm not going to go to somebody who, who is, whose life is going well and say, may I comfort you? They're going to look at me and say, why do I need comfort? So if, if Jesus is speaking a gospel here of avoid all suffering, then the Beatitudes make no sense. Because the Beatitudes are spoken for real life living now. We live in a fallen world and tragedies will inevitably come. I am thankful for those seasons where God has us living in peace and comfort. I love those times when that happens. And I hope and pray that God allows us peace and comfort much more than He allows grief and sorrow. But we are never promised in Scripture an existence as Christians that is free of sorrow and grief. But what we are promised, and I think this is what Jesus is is implying here in verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We, We will not receive the blessings of God's presence unless God sees that he, that we need him. Do you need Christ today? I mean, if, if the person's heart is rejecting Christ, it's a rejection of Christ because I don't need you. I've got it all under control. Okay. And God says, all right, you don't need me. I'm not going to bother you. I mean, that's, that's pretty biblical. But those who are sorrowful, whose spirit is in poverty, whose soul is in grief and inner agony, are ones who who desperately need the Father. And those are the ones that Jesus comes to to bring comfort and forgiveness. Now, we have to think about this. Do calamities, do, do tragedies bring happiness? I don't think so. What do tragedies and, 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 and difficulties bring? What do, what does a calamity in your life bring? Woohoo! I've lost my house. Woohoo! I've lost my job. Woohoo! My family members are all dead. Thank you, Jesus. That's foolish, isn't it? Of course it's foolish. Whenever those things happen, a, a, an honest response is going to be, we're going to fall into a season of grief and sorrow because if we did not have grief and sorrow over the loss of a loved one, if we did not have grief and sorrow over the loss of what God is blessing us with, then we are not aware of God's blessings. It is that grief and sorrow that wakes us, that I think is evidence that we do know what God's blessings should be. And we are sorrowful for that. And that's the attitude of the sinful heart. 
The sinful heart that is ready for repentance, the sinful heart that is ready for forgiveness and salvation is the sinful heart that is in a state of mourning over one's sin. And that cannot happen apart from the Holy Spirit showing the need for salvation and also showing the need of where that sinful heart is. Unless there is genuine mourning and sorrow over one's sin, I do not know that salvation is genuine. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to come to the altar and weep and wail and snot and all that stuff. You don't have to, you know, it doesn't have to be a grand emotional experience. Now, some people do have those kind of experiences. But now some people, it may just be a gradual awakening and awareness of separation from the Lord and a genuine agony and sorrow that does not necessarily manifest itself in an emotional showing. But there is a true awareness and a sorrow over one's sin before God saves. So blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now Matthew chapter 24, flip over there real quick. Matthew chapter 24, we're going to look at just a couple more passages. And we're going to see this evidenced throughout the New Testament. It's not just here in the Beatitudes. This is a gospel truth that we will see in other places of Scripture. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 3. Jesus is now speaking here. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? So here is the, the end times aspect here of sorrow and blessing. In verse 4, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Verse 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. You see, Jesus here speaks about a promised existence now and in the future of war, of famine, of sorrow and of grief. But it must, in other words, what he's saying here is Jesus is saying that all of human history will get worse long before it gets better. And that's the condition of the sinful heart. It may be that someone that you're praying for right now for salvation, they may need to go through worse before it gets better. So if you are sorrowful for a loved one or someone you know who is not a Christian yet, don't give up on them, but actually understand the reality of what Jesus here says and what many other passages we're going to look at says that oftentimes one's condition before the Lord, their sorrow, their mourning, their grief may need to get worse, which it means that they may need to suffer more tragedies before it gets better. But if God is doing the work, if God is ushering in the kingdom of heaven to the sinner, oh, what a glorious result that will be. Amen? Flip with me to Romans chapter 5. This was our opening scripture today, our call to worship. And I asked uh, Jimmy to read this for a reason. Because Romans chapter 5, I think the Apostle Paul is actually unpacking this concept of blessed are those who mourn in a very important reason. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Though through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Notice here in verse four, verse three, we rejoice in our sufferings. That's kind of a contrast, isn't it? Knowing that suffering does what? Produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, suffering is the first step to a greater progress of spirit and love and acceptance and growing in knowledge of the Lord God Almighty. We may need to be broken and suffer some sincere agony in order to truly taste the goodness of God. Can we see that? How many Christian testimonies in this room could say that? Several of us, I know. We could have a testimony service in this room right now, and I bet you, I'd say 90% of us probably said, well, the Lord took me through this, and boy, did He wake me up. Because those who mourn over their sin are those that God will bless with His mercy and His grace. It's not like we have to earn His grace and His forgiveness by mourning. Okay, I've got to stir up within myself an attitude of grief in order for God to love me. No, it's that that genuine sorrow and grief that God allows to happen in us, and I'm going to say He may cause it at some level. (laughs) That's what the Old Testament shows. That God may cause grief and sorrow in our lives in order to get our attention, and so that we understand and receive His blessing and His love. And then, and only then, do we even experience what the kingdom of heaven is like. You see, because grief prepares us to accept and receive this eternal joy that is part of the kingdom of heaven. Through grief, one can actually, can we say, eager to seek comfort? Because if you're in a, in a state of grief and sorrow, are you not eager to find a better state of being? Yes. I don't know anybody who is going through any kind of grief, a genuine heartbreak, wants to stay there long. They, they desire, they crave, they long for the beauty of the kingdom of heaven. You see how God's working here? It's almost like He's putting a craving within our hearts, our broken spirit. He's putting a craving within us in our attitude of sorrow and our season of grief for the beautiful outcome that can be from His presence and His love and His grace. You see, God... Godly sorrow. What does godly sorrow look like? Godly sorrow is this sincerity to want to belong to God. This is not a sorrow of, oh, well, I've I've lost all I own. No, this is a deeper sorrow, a deeper mourning that Jesus is talking about. It is a godly sorrow that produces sincerity to belong to God. Turn with me to Job chapter 42, and we'll close with this. I remember years and years ago, I, I did my really good, good first study of Job years ago. And I was just floored when I got to the end of the book of Job. And, and it, it, it woke up to me exactly what was happening here in Job chapter 42. And this is at the end of this wonderful narrative, this wonderful story of Job's awakening to God's uh, presence. You know, Job in the beginning of this book is... Is described rightly, a man of righteousness, a man who is really in God's favor, blessed with not only physical wealth, 
uh, he, he was blessed with good health. He was blessed uh, with a great family. He had it all going, and he was humble at it. But throughout the book of Job, we see that God takes away everything. He allows Satan. He, he, God is still sovereign, and he still allows Satan to do all these things. But, he said, but even there, God says, okay, Satan, you can do this, but here's where you stop. God is still in control. Here at the end of the book of Job, we see where Job wakes up and he understands what godly sorrow is. Because much of the book of Job, even though Job is in grief and sorrow, he is actually condemned for not having a genuine godly sorrow. Look here in verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, this is after God really chastises Job. Then God answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Verses 5 and 6 of Job 42 shows us exactly what godly sorrow is, and this is the mourning that Jesus is speaking of. Blessed are those who mourn to the point that they clearly see God for who He is. Amen? I mean, I don't know. I don't like going through trouble and sorrow, but Job sees God in his true nature through the hardship that God allowed Job to go through. Job sees God when he sees his Redeemer. And when we see God for who he is, we often see ourselves for who we are. And that's, we're just worms and sinners. And when we wake up to that truth, boy, are we in an attitude of mourning and grief. I want to close with just this experience of my own. This was years ago. This would have been 2002. And I suddenly found myself as a single father, widowed, raising a five-year-old boy. I had no idea what to do next. Here I was suddenly the mother and the father of this little boy who could not understand fully what had happened to his mama. And I would have to put him to bed at night. Which we always did, you know, we, we always had this routine with him, and I tried to keep as much routine as we could for Logan when he was five, and I would put him to bed, and the whole day long of putting up the face, because I had to be strong for him, when I put him to bed, that's when I could just be me, and I would sit on the front porch with my God, and I would wail, and I would weep. And I was torn, and I was broken. And God met me on those that front porch. Every night for months, I would sit on my front porch. That was my routine. I would sit on the front porch and weep with my Bible in my hands, crying out to the Lord, why is this happening? And I knew that my son was in his bed asleep, and I didn't want him to feel any sorrow or grief, but I had no idea how to help him either. And oh, did God show up on that porch. Every single night I had my Bible out and, and he would always speak to me in his word and I would be praying and I would be broken and I would be grieving and mourning and God was there. And that's when I saw the kingdom of heaven in a way that I'd never seen before. 
It's in moments of sorrow and grief that God will love us enough to show us who He is. But it's also in those moments of sorrow and grief that we're able to see the beauty of the Lord. We're able to see His comfort and His grace in our greatest need. And I think that's what Jesus is pointing to here. Right? Many in this room, you know what I'm talking what I just experienced. Many of you know what I'm talking about. You've been in points in your life where you had nowhere else to go. You were at the bottom of the bottom. There was nowhere else to fall. <laughs> and you had no other hope but to look up to the Lord for His mercy and His grace. And did He show up? And you experienced the kingdom of heaven in that moment in ways that you didn't understand before and it became so much more clear and so much more real to you. That's what Jesus is speaking about. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted in that. I'm so thankful that we have a Savior who comforts us when we need Him. Right? And so whenever we as Christians Whenever we come across anyone in our lives, as God brings people into our lives who are broken and grieving, do we share the comfort of God with them as God has comforted us, as Paul is telling us in 2 Corinthians? That's part of the kingdom of heaven too. God uses His church to comfort others. The church is His kingdom of heaven here in this moment. He uses us for that. Do we know someone who is in mourning right now? Do we know someone who is in grief and sorrow? Let me close. I mean, this this is a a difficult time in our country right now with racial tension. Can I tell you something I learned about race relations? This was decades ago I learned this. You know, whenever someone of color laments to you as someone who is not of color, we're all white people in here, right? Do you know what that person is really desiring? They want some comfort. They don't want to be told that what they're feeling is not valid. They want someone to come alongside them and empathize with them as best as they can and say, I'm hearing you. I hear your grief. I hear your sorrow. Let's pray together and ask God to comfort us. That is the kingdom of heaven. Folks, let's just be honest. We we don't understand the, the plight of those People of color in our communities and in our country, they they live things that we do not live. Instead of blowing off their cries of mercy and, and grieving, let's at least have a listening ear. At least have a listening ear. And show the love of God in that. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If we have a, a friend or a co-worker who comes to us, whether they're black, whether they're white, whoever they are, if they come to us with sorrow and grief, what is our role as the Christian? Our role as the Christian is to listen and to provide godly comfort as God has comforted us. Amen? Can we do that? Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. And Your kingdom is something that is here because we've experienced it. And we're grateful and privileged to be a part of it. But there's still more to do before it's fulfilled. And we're waiting for your timing. And we're waiting for your glory. You know when all things will come to an end. You know 
when all sorrow and grief will stop. But in the moment, we're going to endure things. We're going to suffer tragedies. Even though we don't like it, dear God, I thank You for Your grace and Your mercy in the midst of it. When we need You, Father, please please come. Please never leave us or abandon us. Please always bless us with Your kingdom of, and bless us with Your love. And in those times of grief and sorrow and mourning are times when we need You the most. And so God, I pray that we as Your church would continue to be that kingdom that others experience. That the love of Christ that loves us would also pour out and love others. Our country is in the midst of a battle. It's a war. It's a spiritual war. It is a cultural war. And God, we can grieve and mourn over what we see. God, I pray that you would cause us to be sympathetic, that you would cause us to show the love of Christ, standing for the truth of the gospel, never wavering from that, because the truth of the gospel is exactly what Jesus speaks here. Blessed are. So help us to bless others by showing the love of Christ, by putting our arms around those who weep and mourn and grieve, loving those who need that comfort and support and not abandoning them and leaving them to themselves. We thank You for loving us and forgiving us in the midst of our sin. As we grieve over our our sin and our separation from You, we pray for Your forgiveness. We pray, Father, for Your forgiveness of our country and of our world. Anyone in this room, Father, who does not know You, who does not know Your Son, Jesus Christ, as Savior, Lord, I pray that You would show them Your comfort and Your love as You awaken them to their sin. Lord, we don't ask for any pain on anyone, but dear God, You allow us to go through these times so that we can feel and know and see You in ways that we could not see before. And we thank You for that glory. We thank You for that blessing. I pray, God, for Your blessing over this church. I pray for Your blessing over everyone here. Love us, Father. Keep us safe. In Jesus' name, amen.